Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of HashiCast. Today, we have Daniel Kim from New Relic on the show visiting us today. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about monitoring and observability, and we're uh, it's going to be great. Started calling so it excited, such an honor. <laughs> I am so on? excited. <laughs> so I guess just before we get into that, um, how about you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so my name is Daniel. Um, I am a senior product marketing manager, DevRel person at New Relic. Um, and yeah, I do really fun things with observability and monitoring, and I try to make engineers' lives slightly easier, just slightly, and make just our space a little bit more fun, a little bit more whimsical, and have a lot of fun along the way. Live, laugh, code, if you will. And how did you get here? I graduated college studying computer engineering and electrical engineering, doing things that are not related to what I'm doing now. I studied circuits and electricity and cool things like that and one day i was like man i have such a personality i should not be in a lab containing all of this personality into a bunny suit i should probably go and do marketing so i got myself a developer marketing job at a startup and then after a while i was like yo new relic seems cool so i just moved over and then now i'm doing cool marketing developer stuff at new relic is that a good intro i i think this was so vague but, you know, that's that's my journey to where I'm at now. That makes sense. That sounds good. Um. <laughs> Sorry. This is a Friday for everyone listening, and it's been a journey to get here. Wouldn't you say, Jackie? A... <laughs> yeah, like TGIF, really. <laughs> oh, really? geez. That's a vibe. Yeah. I hope that everyone listening knows that this is the vibe. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, part of why I'm in DevRel too is that I try to make things like learning and tech more fun and I want to enjoy it along the way. And sometimes this is what that looks like. So, yeah, this is the vibe of live, laugh, code. <laughs> live, laugh, code. It's like the motto version of I code, I speak as a DevRel job description. You know, if you go to like Hobby Lobby or Michael's, they have those like old timey, like wooden signs with like the, the really cringy quotes. We need to have one made that we can hang in our kitchen that just says, Live, laugh, code. Why not a neon sign? <laughs> Why not a neon sign? <laughs> I point to my neon hello in the background. Um, yeah, so that that's what I do. That was a really bad introduction, but don't judge me. It's a friend. I mean, we can redo it if you want. No, it's okay. I do not <laughs> want to redo it. This is, this is called authenticity. One of our um, main core principles at New Relic is to be authentic. And I'm being the most Daniel I can be right now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that makes sense. This checks out. <laughs> Speaking of New Relic and the work you do there, um, let's just kind of get right into it. What would you say is, <laughs> I'm just trying to say observation. <laughs> oh so let me talk a little bit about observation. Um, so observation <laughs> is basically when you do things to your, to your applications that is running to get more visibility into what your application is doing. So when things go wrong, you know what to fix. Because let me tell you, um, I've spent years, minutes, hours, months agonizing over why my application isn't working and without 
tools to make it easier to find what's going wrong when things go wrong, it is virtually impossible, especially in the complex applications that we have today um, to figure out what's going wrong. So you need tools to help you figure out, yo, take a look over here. That's probably the issue you're having, you know? So that's kind of what New Relic does. And that's kind of what I am working on is to make engineers aware that these types of technologies exist and how to adopt them to make their lives slightly easier. That makes sense. So let's say that now that they're aware about it, uh -huh. how would you convince them that they should care about having good, better observability and monitoring? So this is kind of too honest or too transparent, but a lot of customers that come to New Relic, um, I call it their oh shit moment, where um, they come to us running right after they had a huge incident or an outage. So this is usually like a startup that really was really focused on building tools and features instead of actually focusing on reliability. So one day there's like a zero day bug that just crashes their website or system for a couple of days or a couple of hours. And they come to providers like New Relic or other competitors that do observability to be like, hey, we had this incident. How can we make sure that this doesn't happen again? So even if we really try at New Relic to educate ed engineers about like how great observability is, but people don't really understand the value until they have been through one of those oh shit moments where everything goes down and engineers are scrambling to find where the issue is and they just can't find it because the application is too big and too complex to really just pinpoint the issue without any tooling to actually you know, point the finger to where they should be looking. I can't really convince people unless they've been through it. Okay, let's say now that they're convinced that they should care mm -hmm. and they go to their manager and maybe they've figured out that they're actually going to get it set up and installed. Do you have any talking points that you could share with the audience about getting more buy-in for a more robust implementation? And just to kind of clarify what I mean, it's kind of like they've got feature development that they've got to do. This is going to be time taking them away from it. So it's pretty easy, or at least I've seen cases before in the past where management is just kind of like, we've installed it. It's there. It's doing its job. We don't need to touch it anymore. Just leave it and go. Yeah. How would you convince them that maybe there should be like a more robust setup or a deeper, more complex kind of? Yeah, I think um, we should kind of look at the question from a different perspective. So I think it's rather than convincing management through like talking points, we should just show managers how we can leverage data to do things because data just sitting there isn't going to help you that much, right? So like if you have observability data flowing in and you're seeing like the health of your clusters, if you have like infrastructure Kubernetes monitoring uh, installed, um, it's great for when there's an incident, but unless you're using it in your day-to-day -day life, um, monitoring can kind of seem like a waste of money because it does cost a lot of money to like ship data to various databases and run AI ML programs to get useful insights from them. Like you're actually investing a lot of money and time when you like have an, like a robust observability like framework in place. So instead of trying to get buy-in from your manager to kind of increase it without any like evidence or just be like, yo, it could be great. It's, I think best to start using the data to make improvements into your existing thing and be like, yo, uh, so the, the, the golden signals that I'm getting from uh, this application through this monitoring system is allowing us to make improvements into the efficiency of our systems or it's improving uptime or it's improving um, the, uh, or like making our setup more efficient. So we're using less Kubernetes like resources to run our entire application. So I'm actually gathering data from your observability setup and using it will get more buy-in into your um, um, in, from your organization if you are able to make use of the money that they are spending on the setup, if that makes that's, sense. That's a really good point. It's kind of like insurance. Like when you don't have anything going wrong and you're just paying for it over and over, it kind of feels like a waste until you actually need it. And then you're happy you kind of have something covered there. 
Yeah, exactly. So, all right, we've, we've got it set up, uh-huh. we're ready to go. Let's talk a bit about strategy. Um, I guess, first off, how would you approach monitoring for cloud-native applications? Yeah, um, so monitoring is kind of a pain as things get more and more complex. So when when you really first started, like it was back in the olden days, in the 2006s or seven. I don't remember exactly when Relic was founded, but it was really old. But Google says 2008. 2008, yeah. <laughs> olden days. Um, and a lot of the applications back when uh, Relic was founded was uh, monoliths and relatively simple to monitor because it'd be like one system and you could relatively easily monitor like the ins and outs of this monolithic or very simple um, setup, basically. But as cloud native kind of took a hold of the industry and people were switching over to more microservices uh, driven architectures, uh, things get a little bit more dicey to monitor because now like there's teams working in different languages, different frameworks, using different communication protocols. To trace all of this requires a lot of different technologies. And then you need, to invest resources to weave all the data together to kind of get a full big picture view of what your application is doing. Because if you don't do that, what kind of data would you collect? Like there's, it's really hard to even collect the data because all the data is in different formats and different languages, frameworks, et cetera, et cetera. So the strategy kind of had to shift. So what New Relic has uh, and what other companies doing is they're kind of giving a lot of options to companies. So uh, right now, there's a lot of investment from all of the observability companies into creating an open source standard for collecting data called Open Telemetry. So that is a project in the CNCF right now. And what that does is it provides a vendor-neutral way of collecting telemetry data or observability data from your systems. So you could like install it in all of your systems with all of its various language collectors. So you just so if it's like a Node.js app, you'd install it using an npm package. If it's a Ruby uh, Ruby app, it'd be like a Ruby gem, et cetera, et cetera. So you just install it into your systems, you get the data, and then you can send it using Open Telemetry to any of our any any company or any open source like solution you want to use. So there's development of that. Um, there's also like all of our companies in the observability space have their own proprietary ways of sending data to their databases. So when you when it comes to observability strategies, there's so many options. But what you should kind of do when you're choosing like how you want to instrument your applications or how you want to kind of add observability and get visibility is kind of understanding first what your needs are and how those solutions will fit your needs. And um, there's so many options nowadays like to observe your systems. It's all on a case-by-case basis, but I think what's really important is figuring out what metrics and data you want to see in your systems and what solution will best fit that particular criteria, if that makes sense. It's kind of like a figure out what case you're solving for instead of just getting a solution in need of a problem approach mm-hmm. to, which is always great to have. Yeah, and a lot of these open source solutions kind of act as little buffers, I think. Uh, if like a particular vendor's um, solution doesn't cover a technology that you're using or uh, isn't compatible with like a little part of your entire stack, you can actually use uh, these open source frameworks and like plugins that a lot of these contributors are creating to kind of fill in those gaps in your observability to make sure that you have visibility into your entire system. That makes sense. Um, how much of your answer would you change if it was focused on container-based applications? 
my answer wouldn't change that much because even for container-based applications, there's a lot of options as well because as the observability space is growing, there are more and more startups and companies that are trying to solve for this problem. Um, so for container-based problems, I, I think uh, uh, container-based applications, the problems are essentially the same because you're basically trying to figure out what's going wrong inside this black box in this container, right? And you're trying to figure out, okay, so what in this application is really causing this error or this uh, lag in service. So um, it's all based on what kind of signals that you want to get from the application because um, there are pros and cons uh, and there's a, to every agent and every kind of monitoring solution for every single framework. Um, and it all depends on like, for example, like how much data you want to ingest, like is cost a limiting factor for you? Or like uh, what what type of data would you are you thinking of accessing? Do you need it to play well with other kind of types of monitoring you already have in place? So you kind of need to consider a lot of things when you're choosing your observability solution. So I think um, what I would suggest, especially if you're a company that has a really complex um, like setup and your infrastructure is not like the out of the box norm, is to spend some time kind of doing proof of concepts. Uh, of you doing things with open telemetry or with uh, vendor specific agents to figure out what would work best for you because I would hate I hate it when people kind of go all in on solutions that they have never actually mocked up in a smaller scale. Um, so yeah, trying things at a smaller scale, understanding the risks involved, and then going forward into implementing the whole observability strategy is my advice. That makes sense. Woohoo. Were there additional challenges that you found when you're doing container monitoring at scale? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about like uh, monitoring. So I was recently on a customer call where um, they had just like a, a lot of containers running in the cloud. Like it was like a bunch of containers that were like uh, networked together. And then all of them, it was kind of an older company. So there was a lot of different containers that were running very different applications um, and they were kind of looking for a solution that could give them bigger visi uh, like larger visibility into their whole like network and their whole like cloud setup. So the challenge basically is how do we make the lift to monitor things as small as possible? Because when we're talking like we have seven containers or 10 containers in the cloud, it's pretty manageable to kind of like manually like have one developer like once a month just check in on the monitoring. And it's kind of a small lift. But when we're talking about like thousands or tens of thousands of containers working across tons of teams, like even making sure that the instrumentation and all of the code to get the observability data is up to date is a task on its own. Like it becomes its own thing. And the challenge for a lot of these companies is like, how do we make that lift as small as possible? How do we make sure that we have the most up to date and most comprehensive instrumentation and observability strategy as possible? So there's a lot of like companies like New Relic that are uh, providing solutions that try to get a lot of this data like out of the box, so teams don't have to manually kind of update all of this like instrumentation strategy. So New Relic right now is investing a lot in eBPF technology, which uh, basically leverages um, the Linux kernel to get like very very deep insights into Kubernetes containers uh, via the Linux kernel. So you don't actually have to add any code to get data out of your systems. It just reads it automatically from the Linux kernel uh, through this through this program called Pixie. So like there are like things that um, companies are doing to make this process easier. But for companies, I think that is the biggest pain point for them is how do we make sure we have the largest coverage with the least amount of work? 
that's kind of like what I saw. Yeah, that makes sense as a trend because you're always kind of trying to solve the problems that you're focused on and everything else starts to feel kind of secondary. So exactly. It's always like, how can we reduce that friction or the steps involved to actually get to the point you need to be? It makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Now that we've got it set up, what are some kind of downstream or chain effects that we can do? Like what are either insights or actions that we have available to us that we wouldn't previously have been able to do without it? Yeah. So in a couple of years ago, I think observability was kind of marketed towards like site reliability engineers who were trying to um, kind of solve outages or incidents, right? And we'd, it'd be like used to kind of be, be like, yo, this might be the problem that you should take a closer look at. But nowadays, um, this data can be used for a lot of different purposes. So another example that I'm actually working on right now at work is leveraging uh, observability data to automate a lot of your infrastructure. Kubernetes has this feature called horizontal pod autoscaling, auto which basically allows you to scale your containers to match demand based on metrics. So um, the built-in kind of like the feature has uh, that scaling based on like just internal metrics like CPU usage or memory, but you can also have it pull from various external data sources. So if you wanted to actually like scale your containers, not based on like memory or uh, something like that, but like throughput or like the number of visitors on your website, you can actually leverage your observability data to automate your uh, Kubernetes scaling and like how much you want it to scale. And you can kind of leverage any kind of metric you have collected to do that. So I think that's kind of like, uh, things that you can do with uh, data because essentially what observability is is just a giant data store of how your application is doing so another kind of cool application i've seen is uh automated rollouts and like blue green testing and canary builds and things like that is there's ways that you can actually automate your rollout process for your applications when you release new features to automatically roll back applications if they're not performing up to scale so if you've heard of Argo, Argo is a CNCF project that is revolutionizing GitOps or making Git the central source of truth for your like DevOps needs. So Argo uh, has an integration with observability solutions where it can automatically roll back Canary deploys if like the data that is provided by like that is being collected by the observability solution is not showing that it's performing very well. So you can actually leverage that to automate a lot of things that normally SREs would have to like stay up for uh, during deploy days. But nowadays, you don't. You can deploy on Fridays because you can have GitOps just automatically roll back things based on metrics that it's getting from your visibility solution. So finding creative and cool ways to use like all of this data coming from your applications and automating away a lot of the things that causes pain points as developers, I think, is the cool part about observability. Yeah, I think that's really neat too, because it's one of those things that typically you would have had to dig for, you would have had to find these numbers, you would have had to do like a lot of thinking about mm -hmm. in terms of like, okay, I see that this is happening. Mm -hmm. And now that I've got this idea, like, what can I do to make it better? It's it's really cool to see it getting built in just easier. Yeah, and I love the automation part, because I remember like, uh, there was this like super, uh, there was a Twitter thread about like, should we deploy on Fridays? Like, is that like bad for work life balance? <laughs> I feel like that one comes up every other quarter. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like the two hot topics in tech Twitter. It's like, do you need a tech degree to get into tech? And then, <laughs> yes. uh, and then do you deploy on Fridays? Like the two most hotly debated things. But I feel like, hopefully in the next 10 years, technologies like this make it like not a debate anymore and anyone can deploy on any day because there's automated rollbacks and automated things that make systems just really, really reliable. 
That'd be really cool. That'd be like a really nice place to land at. Yeah, I don't like really want to talk about too. that like Friday the Ploy thing again. Like it's been two no, we're, years. No, we're done now. with that one. Yeah, no, no, because I'm like I'm already sick of this argument. It's been, I've been in tech for two years. Like I don't want to talk about this when I'm like fifty. Like should we deploy on Fridays? I'm like, we should probably solve for that. So like in the future, that's not a problem. Yeah, that's fair. That makes sense. That's my hot or... take. Oh, I thought you had a different hot take for oh, later, no. but we'll find out. No, I have a lot of hot takes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> It'll be a new episode that'll just be like hot takes with Daniel. Yeah, I don't want to cause developer wars, so maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why monitoring is a pain in the ass. Not just bad implementations, but also good ones. Yeah, monitoring is just a pain because it's not the most exciting work. Like when you see in your Jira like backlog, like all of these new cool features, and one of them is add monitoring library to your application, like no one wants to take that on, you know? Like, if I were a developer, like, working in a really exciting startup, I wouldn't want to be that person that implements observability. So it ends up being, like, left in the queue until that oh shit moment because no one will want to take that ticket. Like, let's let's be real. Like, observability isn't exciting. Monitoring isn't exciting. Um, so so um, I wouldn't say that it's pain to implement. It's pain to kind of upkeep because it always falls as the last priority. Like, no one's ever like ooh, monitoring is the number one thing we need to get shipped this quarter like uh, when i talk to engineering teams it's always like an afterthought so i think the challenge is how do you allocate enough time where it's not a time suck on all of your other okrs but it's still being maintained to the point where you can get valuable insights from your data if that makes sense that is the pain point is how do you convince developers that it is worth the time to <laughs> observe their systems yeah, that makes sense, especially when there's that pressure to do, like, everything else first, so. Exactly, because when I talk to developers, they're never like, oh, it is so difficult to observe my system. It's always like, I don't really want to do this. This is so boring, but I watch K-dramas while I'm doing observability. Like, I get everyone telling me things like that, and I'm like, I agree. It's not the most exciting, but it's very, very necessary if you want a reliable system. So, yeah, that is the challenge, at least for me. I just tried Googling like the words exciting observability and monitoring to see if I could find any papers and nothing came up. So that might be like a gap of something we could create, like an exciting exercise. <laughs> I mean, I can do my best, honestly, but um, there are more exciting things. But I can, I, that will be a life mission at New Relic is to make it exciting and fun again. Maybe with more instant noodles, you know, like Cooper noodles. Yeah, more instant noodles. Those were good. Those were actually really good. I know. I had them More tiny over. hats. <laughs> oh, I have a tiny hat. I, I will wear it right now. Oh, I have mine too. Yeah, I saved it for our live stream. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. <laughs> so what kind of challenges do you run into when you're debugging in prod? Yeah, so debugging in prod, I think people are like, well... You shouldn't actually debug in prod, right? Because everything should be perfect by the time it reaches prod. And I'm like, good for you that you have a perfect engineering team that never makes mistakes and you have everything perfectly set up. This is actually no company. I have not met a company. If you're a company that has 100% uptime that never had a problem in prod, please hire me. That sounds like a great, great company. <laughs> but most likely than not, you are probably at a company where you have had incidents, multiple incidents, everyday incidents. Just stuff going everywhere, you know? And then, um, wait, what was the question again? I got too deep into the rabbit hole. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay, we got distracted. Um, the challenges of debugging. Oh, yeah. So the challenge of debugging prod is that there could be, especially if you have a complex application or you work at a company with dozens of teams working on the same product, 
you don't know what could be causing the issue, especially if it's like a random error, like crash loop, a like crash loop, or like infinite loop things, or memory error. Like there, are, these are the most unhelpful abstract errors I've ever seen in my life, and it could be everything from a network error to like a like an API backend error to the simple JavaScript frontend error or a CDN error. It could be so many different things. Since nowadays technologies rely on so many other technologies to make it work, the challenge is figuring out who to not wake up because what the last thing you want to do is wake up a principal engineer in Barcelona that had nothing to do with the problem that you're having just because you might suspect that it was his team that caused this bug. That's the last thing you want to do because you don't want to hear yelling in Spanish because I'm assuming that is very, very, very scary. So <laughs> um, observability, uh, debugging prod is a pain, especially if you have a lot of teams because unless you have a clear direction, it could be literally anything that could be causing the deal. It could not even be your developer team's fault. It could be literally another dependency that you're relying on to serve your application. So that's the pain. Monitoring solves that because you can just quickly rule out things from being the issue. So you can quickly rule out network from being an issue if you have like if you're uh, observing how your mod uh, your networking like solution is doing, like how that's doing. So I guess like the best part about monitoring is that you don't have to falsely call your Barcelona networking person at 2 a.m. their time to figure out if it's their fault and find out they didn't do anything wrong and you just feel really bad for the week. And now you have to find them a gift basket because you feel bad for waking up like 2 a.m. in the morning. So that's kind of like the pain point and the benefit of having observability. This definitely sounds like it's a specific example. <laughs> no, this has never happened before. Don't at me. <laughs> Don't at me. All right, sounds good. <laughs> Let's talk about GitOps and how to leverage monitoring data to make live changes to your infrastructure. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I feel like I really like where the future is headed with DevOps because it's all automations. Like, I don't have to do anything in 50 years. I'm sure, like, everything will be so abstract is I click a button and everything just magically is orderly and everything just works. But until then, GitOps is, like, that next step, I think, to that eventual dream of full automation, 100% automation. So GitOps is basically this principle that you should be able to easily make changes to your production environment without having to have a whole ass other team to do it. So <laughs> GitOps makes it easy to kind of automate like pushing to prod and make it safer to push to prod. So you can kind of be reassured that like it won't fail to all of your live users as soon as it hits production. That would be a problem. So I'm really excited to kind of like work a little bit harder to make observability more integrated with GitOps because I feel like this is a really good opportunity to make sure that your production uh, is a little more reliable than it was when you didn't have GitOps. So I have this demo set up where I have GitOps running, uh, like Argo running with uh, New Relic integration. So whenever like I push a new change to master or main uh, in my Git GitHub repo, um, it automatically deploys it to 10% of like my users that hit the main site and basically in those 10% of users um, my my uh, new relic checks like how well the app is performing for those 10% of users and if those metrics are showing that it is not performing well like latency is a lot higher than what it was in the production cluster that was deployed before this canary release then I can be like yo there's a significant problem here 
we should probably figure out what's going wrong. So it adds that extra security layer of being like, I can be assured that this change is not going to fuck up production. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the cool part about GitHub. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Because I really want to deploy on Fridays. Because like, I don't want to wait till Monday. <laughs> Nobody wants to wait till Monday. That's like a whole extra few days lost. You yeah. have had more metrics by then, right? Exactly. No, I just want to like wow. not work on Mondays. Because like, Mondays are the worst. Because I get so many Slack notifications. <laughs> That's fair. What are some common mistakes you've seen people do? Either with assumptions that they're making. Or approaches that they're taking. Or the things that they're choosing to actually watch. Um, I think the first mistake that people make is I've seen a couple of startups do this. They try to build their own observability solution. They think they're so smart that they're just like, we need a blockchain-based Web3 observability solution that only we we can use because we are so special and no one has ever built an app like ours before. The not invented here syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> this is subtweeting one company that actually did something similar to that. Um, but you know who you are. Um, but <laughs> I, I just want to uh, the, the, the mistake that I see companies making is that they build their own tooling for things that already exist so I think companies nowadays there's so many good open source solutions out there that you can take advantage of that are donated by like world class companies to the community you should never try to build your own thing from scratch when it comes to observability there are experts that are 20 million times smarter than you who have already built something that you probably could use that's the mistake. Do not build your own thing with, uh, when it comes to observability. It's a waste of time. There are people that are way smarter than all of us that are building tools for us. So we should definitely use their hard work. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's something we're seeing a lot more too with things like either Nomad Pack or Helm Charts where you're able to kind of leverage other people's expertise in that area and pull it in with something that's kind of been tested and seen somewhere else. Like somebody else who knows more about how to implement it is doing it. Exactly. I think that's been like a really nice thing to see happening over the last few years. Exactly. Sharing is caring. Yes. I can, I can agree with that one. <laughs> Wait, do you mean you didn't agree with everything else I said? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> No, that was the one point that I agreed with. Okay. <laughs> live, kidding. laugh, code. Yeah, live, laugh, code. That was that was actually the one point I agreed with. Okay, okay, okay. We'll figure it out. So I think um, you mentioned a lot too earlier, like in our last question about <laughs> uh -huh. kind of not building it yourself from scratch and not making your own bespoke kind of tooling. Um, I've heard a couple other OSS names come up, but are there any projects that you've been keeping an eye on or that you think people should be checking out in this space? Yeah, so um, you should definitely check out OpenTelemetry. Um, it is one of my favorite open source projects because it allows so many more people to get into observability without paying so much money to companies like New Relic. You can just literally go and spin up OpenTelemetry. Uh, you can add OpenTelemetry to your site in minutes. Um, it's all completely open source, no strings attached. And yeah, you can switch and try out as many vendors as you want. You can easily send data to New Relic, Datadog, Splunk. So easy. All you have to do is just change the little uh, access key so it sends data to other places. So you can like evaluate vendors easier. So yeah, definitely check out OpenTelemetry. Um, its tracing features are GA'd and metrics uh, support for OpenTelemetry will be GA'd in the next coming months. Super excited for that. You should also check out uh, Pixie. So Pixie is New Relic's open source project that uh, was donated to the CNCF. Um, and what Pixie does is it allows you to get like amazing APM level data without actually instrumenting or adding any code to your application. So you can get stuff like latency throughput in each of your microservices in your Kubernetes environment without actually adding any code using eBPF technology. So 
pretty cool projects. Um, check them out. If you have any questions, GitHub exists. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like, if you have any questions, don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> don't at me. I was gonna oh, say geez. that, but that would have been rude. But like, I just said. I know, but it's really where I thought you were going. <laughs> Don't at me. With Open Telemetry, as you're testing out these different integrations or places that you can ship the data, is there any chance that you can do like multiple vendors at the same time? So of you can course do, like, a direct you can. Comparison. Yeah. Nice. So I've actually done that before, um, and it's really cool because you can kind of evaluate. Okay, so for this feature set, is this company better than this company, or should I just like use this open source solution like Jaeger or something to visualize my data? You can like just try anything. It's great. We've talked a lot about kind of like strategies around implementing and getting started and things to look out for. But what would you say is the future of, oh no, it says observation. <laughs> the Do not of... cut this. Do not cut this. Jackie, editor Jackie that's listening right now. Do not cut this. All right. We won't cut it. <laughs> what is the future of observation? <laughs> The future of observation is um, that we don't have to worry about observation anymore. Everything will be automatically observated. <laughs> or, so I know. <laughs> I think okay. I think that's the future. I think more and more, like the companies that are in this space, are trying to abstract away the effort needed to get data out of your systems. So no longer will you have to manually add code to ship data from your systems, it will automatically just get that data. Um, and there's already companies that are working on this, like Datadog and New Relic are both exploring ways to leverage new tech, well, not new, but like um, cool new technologies like eBPF to automatically gather data so you don't have to gather it yourself to kind of get insights into your systems. Um, there are companies that are trying to abstract away even like container orchestration um, that's kind of another hot take I have. Kubernetes is going to be abstracted away in a couple years into mega Kubernetes, where we don't have to do any of the gritty, nitty-gritty details about Kubernetes in the next 20 years. So I don't have to deal with that when I'm a developer. So that would be cool. But I think the future of anything or in tech is to make things easier and automated. So we don't actually have to do things anymore So in the future. So you just press some buttons and boop. 100% uptime. This is your boot deployment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Alexa will be like, your deployment is now complete. It's just all automated. I actually once built a uh, voice pack for API.ai and Alexa that would do deployments at a job. Like, um, what year is it? 2021? Um, a good five years ago. <laughs> so that's pretty fun. Wow. So you're basically saying you are the future. No, oh. no, no. It was just really fun to tell Alexa to deploy things for me. That would be really fun. I think we should do that in the future. We should collaborate on a startup that's like, deploy now. You just talk to your Alexa. Alexa. Start tiny hats. <laughs> and it just spins it up for you with 100%. And it goes to your Fire TV. You have a Fire TV? That's concerning. No, I don't. Okay, cool. <laughs> a turn was taken. <laughs> but yeah, that's the future of observation. Observation. <laughs> Oh, I mean, by the end of this podcast, it's going to be a word now. I've already tweeted it. Like, we're good to go. <laughs> we should make this into a thing. We should get, like, swag made of observation. I will consider this. Anyways, yeah, that's my hot take. Oh, can we get to the hot take section? That's my That favorite. was actually the next, uh, that was the next two questions. Oh! One of them was hot yes. takes. So we're coming into the end of the podcast recording. Mm -hmm. So God, I like to ask, kind of, do you have any hot takes that you would like to share? Oh, I have so many hot takes. Get ready to destroy your podcast machine. 
that you're listening. Podcast <laughs> machine. <laughs> the 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 place that you're listening to your podcast because I have some spicy takes. All right, what's take number one? Take number one. I think that people who have way too many stickers on their laptops, it looks ugly. Especially if they're not <gasps> color coordinated, you know? Like, if it's color coordinated and there's some effort put into the curation of the stickers, I will appreciate it. But if it's literally a hodgepodge of stickers with no, like, conceivable, <laughs> like, color coordination or, like, aesthetic feng shuiing, um, y'all need to stop. Or at least get a cover so it's not directly on the case. So, like, if you make a mistake, you can, like, replace it. But people who go full in on their laptops without a case with their stickers just directly on metal that have no sense of color. Y'all need to stop. So what do you think about my spicy take? Like, uh, how spicy was it out of one to five? I mean, as somebody that has a lot of stickers on my laptop and many, many more on my personal laptop, like, how else will people know I'm in tech? (laughs) (laughs) Is that that the litmus test? It's like... (laughs) You have a Peloton, and you have stickers on your, on your, on your, on your, uh, on your, uh, on your. Computer. I think that's an or case, not an and case. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah, so that was my hot take. Um, I hope you guys found that spicy. Do you have any like top tips for people getting started or like doing more? I guess. Oh, uh, it just literally says top tips. It can be anything. It's general. Uh, top tips. Um, I'll do top tips for staying alive. Um. <laughs> Um, try to spend some time like caring for yourself. I think that's important. So uh, I get acupuncture done once a week and I get massages and I also get therapy and I have plants that I have named that I look after. Um, but yeah, take time to do some self-care. Do a face mask once in a while. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, also lotion your hands. It is a huge problem because you know now because of COVID, there's so much hand sanitizer. That stuff dries out your hands. You don't want your hands to feel like a like, crackly, you know, like so you need to moisturize your hands. Yeah, it slows down my typing speed. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure to moisturize your hands and if you have like disposable income, you should buy fancier hand sanitizer. So they actually sell hand sanitizer that's like smells good and also feels good on the skin. So you need to get invest in some nice hand sanitizer. There was this hand sanitizer I got from Trader Joe's, which I'm still really excited about. I'm Canadian. We don't have Trader Joe's here. Don't rain on the parade. Um, but they had hand sanitizer that was like spray, and it had like aloe in it. And it actually like felt not dry after I used it and smelled nice. It was great. Wait, wait. What, what's your favorite item at Trader Joe's? Um, the cookie butter. <laughs> That's pretty good. There were so many. It was really the good. The cookie butter is really good. I like all of their ice creams. They have this like mini ice cream cones. Um, they're the size. They're this. They're very very tiny. They're like maybe two inches tall, maybe an inch and a half. That includes the ice cream and the cone. It's like a mini cone. So good. You should try that next time you go to Trader Joe's. I will have to. So I guess as we're just wrapping up, <laughs> is there anything else? <laughs> I'm just doing the smoothest transitions out here. But uh, is there anything else you'd like to share? Make sure to catch me at Trader Joe's. Um, I'm always there. So if you want to ever meet up with me in person, let's do it at a Trader Joe's. Um, we can just like get our shopping carts and just casually browse the aisles together while talking about DevOps. Um, other than that, you know, I'm chilling. Um, you know, I really missed talking about tech in person. I didn't realize how much I missed it until I got to start doing it again with some people. Like, you know, just like sitting out on lunch talking about things and you're just like, oh, shaking fists. Like, I'm so like, just, just yeah, just so much better than over video calls. Yeah, no. It feels like too much of a Zoom call, if like like a work call, if you talk about tech on Zoom. But, you know, 
if you sit out in the in the in the in the outside, you know, the nature, talking about Kubernetes, it just makes it so much better. Chef's kiss. This is true. Um, since we're talking about being in person, and I actually met you in person at KubeCon, where you were at the New Relic booth. Oh yeah. <laughs> you look stressed about where this is going. I'm stressed. <laughs> So we met in person, you're at the booth there, and you're doing a demo. Oh, yeah. But there was something at your booth that was not your demo that there was plenty of. Oh, the Kubernoodles? It was Kubernoodles. So getting into our final question, <laughs> which is typically a slightly less serious question. What is your favorite ramen? <laughs> That's a very serious question. I don't know where this non-seriousness <laughs> is coming from. I have to, I have to like talk through this because... So what are you talking about? Like, are you talking about like location, the type of ramen, the characteristics of the ramen? Like, you got to be more specific here. Oh, I see. We've started a second podcast oh, yeah, yeah. episode now. <laughs> <laughs> um, really, it's whatever amount of detail you would like to answer that in, I think. I might regret this. <laughs> you might, honestly. So ramen actually isn't my favorite Japanese noodle dish. My favorite noodle is a, the udon noodle, which is a little bit thicker oh. and has more chew. Um, but when we're talking about ramen, I think the most important thing is, well, two things. It's the texture of the noodle as well as the broth consistency and flavor. So when we talk about broth consistency, I hate it when it's like too thick. Like I need to be a little bit watery so it feels like a soup. Like it can't be a stew. We're talking about ramen here. That's like blasphemy. That makes sense, yeah. It needs to have a rich pork broth flavor but without being thick like a stew. It needs to be still pretty watery. And then the egg cannot have too much like soy sauce flavor because – you know, I hate it when I just taste like raw soy sauce. It needs to be like lightly flavored. And then regarding the noodles, I hate it when it's like not chewy enough. If it's too soft, got to have a little bit of chew and a bite. It's, they call it al dente in the food network. You know, you got to have that al dente-ness, you know, to the, to, the, to the noodles when you have a ramen. And most importantly is the vibe of the restaurant. Like, is there fluorescent lighting? Because that's a negative 10 points right there if there's fluorescent lighting. Okay, that that's it. That, that, that's my. That was our surprise hot take <laughs> question. So I guess if we were looking at a bowl of ramen, uh -huh. what would be the metrics or things you would want to observe about it <laughs> <laughs> to know that it is in a good and healthy state? Trick, I think it's my facial expression and the velocity, the throughput of me consuming the ramen, the velocity, the throughput, the golden signals. It'd be like throughput, and what's the error rate? So do I spit anything out? You know, like that is the error. <laughs> I like this comparison. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but those are the two metrics I'd be looking out for. Is my, my facial expression, um, the rate at which I'm consuming the ramen, and the spit out. That makes sense. We should go grab ramen, honestly. We really should. I mean, next time in, in America, we can plan something. Yeah. Or you're in Toronto. Yeah. Uh -huh. No, that's too cold. I know. Everyone says that. <laughs> no, but I like Vancouver. It's closer to me. Also, everyone's so nice. I've not met a mean Canadian yet, which is really cool. For anyone listening who probably doesn't already know this, we haven't shared it yet, but we're planning on doing a live stream where we'll be building out a Nomad pack to implement Pixie, I believe is what we're going to do. And I think we're going to be running Tiny Hat. I am so excited. TBD. Oh, I am releasing version one of Tiny Hats next year. Um, we're actually creating a formal roadmap for Tiny Hats. It's going to be extremely exciting. Uh, and I'm excited. We're actually getting custom Tiny Hats made that are New Relic themed. This is what I do with my days. Like... That's fun. 
I'm a hat designer on the side. Love hats. So keep an eye out for, I guess, our date when we're actually going to be building that live because we'd love to have you come in. Well, not you, like you, you, because you're with me on the stream, but you, like the listeners, we'd love <laughs> to have you join and kind of work through building this with us and just be there for all the tiny hat fun. So definitely keep an eye out for that. And yeah, is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? Yeah, um, Jackie is amazing. Everyone, if you don't already know, um, oh, thank you. Yeah, so definitely at her. Oh, you know, just be like, at Jackie, you are so cool. Thumbs up. Aw, thank you. I appreciate it. I do my best to check all my notifications, and most of the time that's feasible. So, yeah, I think that is all we have, uh, my guest hot pot enthusiast. <laughs> hot pot is so good in the winter. That's true. <laughs> we should also get hot pot. <laughs> We should. We'll get both. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you for coming to the podcast, everyone. Uh, be sure to check out HashiCorp at HashiCorp.com and New Relic at NewRelic.com and stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if that's how we ended <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> just me just randomly. I'm tempted. Saying. I'm tempted. <laughs> I'm very tempted. Um, but yeah, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to have you on HashiCast and thanks for taking the time to come out and talk with us. And of course, thank you to everyone who's tuned in to listen and yeah wishing you all the best yeah for sure um bye bye <laughs> we should just end with maniacal laughing like just like you'd be guest was daniel kim from new relic thank you so much for joining us today and be sure to tune in next time